Hello and welcome to Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. We're your hosts, Jill, Gracia, Dave, and Steve. And Don, or Dad, as we call him, is not able to be here today, which is fine. He thinks he's working too hard lately, which is just complete bullshit, but that's what he says. But he doesn't listen to the podcast anyway, so he has no idea what I'm saying about him. Sitting is a hard job. <laughs> Sitting is a hard job. Sitting and Sitting napping. In a car. Yeah. No, yeah. It's exhausting. Uh, I get it. So, so Gracia, do you want to talk to us about whatever our drink of the week is this week? Yes, since we're doing the Iceman Part 2, I thought we would do the Blue Champagne. Blue spelled B-L-E-U. It is out of France. (laughs) Fancy, right? It's like Blue's Clues, only with alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) It is out of France, and it's not as sweet as you would think. It's like a champagne with a little sweetness to it, so you don't need to add, like, the orange juice or the cranberry juice for mimosa. It's just a nice brunch drink. Perfect. Thank you. And before we get going into Iceman Part 2, we're starting a new segment called Jill's Tirating Bitching of the Day, or of the Week, I guess, because we do this weekly. So today I just want to talk to you about what's so fucked up about our health insurance system. So our very good friends, me and Craig, and everybody else here knows them, the Michellis, Steve's mom was diagnosed with ALS about seven or eight months ago. And for those of you who don't know what ALS is, it's a very fast-moving disease. It is absolutely... It's also known as Lou Gehrig's. Lou Gehrig's disease, yeah. It's absolutely a horrible thing to have. And unfortunately, Steve, who's uh, he has a sister, they're responsible for the care of their mom. And the quote that they were just given to take care of her for the next few months is uh, about $3,000 a week outside of out of pocket. So that's after insurance. And I just think that's such bullshit because those people don't have $12,000 laying around and just extra money each month. No person really does. Right. Unless you're a multi-millionaire, you don't have that kind of money. Yeah. So what is the choice that our government's asking us to make about our parents or people in our care? They're asking us to go bankrupt and take care of those we love or kick them to the curb, I guess. But that's just such a fucked up system. So I really hope that... Yeah, and Gracia, you had a similar friend with a similar story, right? Yeah, I had a friend, my friend Kelly and her husband, Paul. He was in an accident at work, and during the accident, afterwards, he developed a rare kidney disease, and he was unable to return to work, and they were seeking treatment. They lost their home. They lost most of everything. She then had to take care of him, so now she lost her job. She is now four, almost $4 million in debt because... The government just doesn't give you any any outs for all of these bills, and they just keep piling up and piling up. And this is five or six years of them trying to save his life. And you're, you're going to do everything you can to keep that person alive, and she did. But now she's broke. Her husband has passed away, and she has two young kids she's trying to come back from. And it is, it is brutal to watch her do this. It's brutal. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and Steve in here, brother-in-law Steve, that's what we call him. When we're talking about other Steve... Um, he and I were talking about how Steve Michelli got tested for the ALS gene. And as a result of him getting tested, he was putting at risk himself being denied insurance, life insurance, health insurance, based on how it comes back. And he's 32, guys. Like, mm. So I get it. It's a big problem and that the five of us and our audience maybe can't solve. But we need to contact our legislatures. We need to contact 
people who represent our interests, and we need to kind of combat this big insurance industry as it is. Because I tell you what, I work for United Health Group, and we have billions of dollars. Like, we could definitely be providing yes, better care. Do. Hopefully, I don't get that. Okay. It, it is a scam. I don't understand how insurance even. Like, you watch everybody, like people with diabetes or even things just to keep them alive. It's just a scam that insurance doesn't cover it. Absolutely, 100%. And, and they are, they're happy to give to politicians. Yep. And they'll give them <laughs> enormous amounts of money. So, yep. 100%. So, yeah, so if you listeners out there have a care about this as much as we do, or if you'd like to support the Michelli family in any way, we'd love you to. You can look us up on Facebook. We'll share their. GoFundMe page where they're trying to get help to support his mom, but also please reach out to your legislatures, your state legislatures, your federal ones. Appeal to them to really make a change in this world. Craig is Canadian. They have a completely different healthcare system, and this wouldn't happen there. So it doesn't need to be this way. But on that positive note, <laughs> Dave, would you like to pick up with the Iceman Part 2? Yep. Tonight we are going to talk about how Kuklinski got caught. We're going to look at some reasons why he got away with this for so long without getting caught. He, uh, according to his interviews, he was killing people for decades. And we're also going to take a look at some of the claims he makes in his interviews. We're going to talk about some that are, I believe are true and some that I tend to believe are not true. Mind you that this is just what I think. It's not... There's no real way to definitively prove one way or the other his claims or whether or not they absolutely didn't happen, although there are a couple that you can say there's strong evidence that it didn't happen this way. Okay. All right, starting with how he gets caught. So in the early 80s, a, he's running a robbery rank, and a detective of the New Jersey State Police Department becomes aware of this rank, and his name is Pat Kane. He's the first person that opens any type of police in file on Mr. Kuklinski. During the next couple years, though, we're going to have George Malibrand, Danny Deppner, Paul Hoffman, Gary Smith, and Louis Maske all get murdered. All of these men had one thing in common, and that is that the last person that they were known to have business with before they died was Richard Kuklinski. So at this point, the state police are pretty much zoning in. At the same time, there is a investigation uh, into Mr. Kuklinski's gun selling that's being run by the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Enforcement Division at the federal level. They decide with the New Jersey State Police and the New Jersey DA, they basically make a joint operation that's called, referred to now as Operation Iceman. And that involves a undercover ATF agent by the name of Dominic Palafroni, I believe is how his name is. It looks like Palafroni, but okay. sounds like on TV when I've heard his name said it's Palafroni. But if I am mispronouncing that, I mean no offense to people of Italian descent. So, uh, fuck em. Uh, unless they're midgets. <laughs> unless you're midgets. So, but if actually, you're an Amish midget, <laughs> I am okay with you. So, so, can I just ask one quick question? So, like, they use those code words a lot. Because, like, maybe people couldn't guess what the crime was about. So had people 
or had Klinsky at this point in time referred to himself as the Iceman? Or was this just because they'd found that body that you were talking about last week? Yeah, so he got... Klinsky, according to him, was referred to by other mafia men as either the big guy or the Polak. So he was not referred to by mafia men as the Iceman. It was only law enforcement that was referring to him as that. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, thank you. So in the subsequent uh, years, it's actually going to be about an 18-month operation. So Dominic Palafrani is going to go undercover, and he is going to pose as a hitman. He starts to frequent an establishment that's kind of sounded like it's kind of like a bodega that's maybe half coffee shop kind of thing that Kuklinski is known to frequent himself. According to Paula Frone, several wise guys also were known to do business there. Eventually, he gets the, I wouldn't say trust is the word I would use, even though a lot of sources say he has the trust of Kuklinski. I don't think Kuklinski necessarily trusts him, but Kuklinski believes that he's another and he is willing to do business with him, although it's also clear he was planning to kill him at one point. Of course. (laughs) But he was willing to do business. Now, during the time that Dominic gets to know Kuklinski well. He describes Kuklinski talking about killing people, especially with cyanide, and he describes it on one segment of, I believe it was uh, Fox, where he says Ooh. basically, <laughs> yeah, and I believe it was to Mark Fuhrman. Oh, I think he had even a show on people. Fox, yeah. Although Dad was saying something about him positive last week. Positive for Mark Fuhrman, the guy that did the Fuhrman tapes? I have nothing good to Wasn't say. Wasn't he the O.J. glove guy? I think so. Uh, yeah. Fierman was a detective in the O.J. Simpson case, yes. Yeah, there was and something that he did positive, Dad was saying. Although we don't know what it is, so this could be speculation. I have no idea if you ever read, listen to the Fierman tapes. He talks about planting evidence on black people. He yeah, talks he's about a racist motherfucking douchebag yeah. for sure. So... But. But anyways, Palafrani went on to his show and he described what the ice fam was like. And he would say he could talk to you about killing a person with cyanide or whatever method, just like you would talk about like the football game that you just watched. There's no emotion in him. If you watch the Iceman tapes, you will see that that is a, definitely something that's very true about the Iceman. He'll, he'll just sit there and like, yeah, we put some boost in some guy's sandwich, and he ate it, and then he died. Jesus. <laughs> it's like, there's no emotional connection whatsoever. It's just, but eventually, of course, because Kuklinski loves using cyanide, Palafron gets his option to basically catch Kuklinski. Kuklinski is in need of, he wants pure cyanide. Now, pure cyanide would actually be hard to come by. I guess cyanide is generally not given in its absolute most pure form. And I guess- What? Really? Yeah. They don't hand that out like at CVS? Yeah. Well, I guess even the black market has trouble getting the actual, the pure, pure stuff. So he wanted some. So Palafrani makes an arrangement with him that he has a hit that he needs to have done. He'll get Kuklinski the pure cyanide, and Kuklinski, instead of cash compensation, will just do the hit for him. So they meet at a park in New Jersey. 
He provides, of course it's fake, but he provides what's supposed to be this pure cyanide to Kuklinski. <coughs> Excuse me. Fortunately for Dominic, he does pretend to leave, but he didn't actually leave, and he watched Kuklinski. And this is very good for him because Kuklinski takes the cyanide and he puts it onto a dog treat and then he goes he goes and finds a dog and gives the dog the cyanide what he thinks is a cyanide laced dog treat fortunately it wasn't real cyanide and the dog was fine but Kuklinski obviously noticed that the dog didn't just die within what should have been seconds with that level of cyanide. So Palafrani realizes, well, he's not going to go and do the hit. So initially what they had planned was that when he went to the location to do the hit, he would enter into the house that he was supposed to do it at, and there would be several squads of law enforcement there waiting for him. Palafrani realizes, well, he's not going to do that. So they basically have a cop follow Kuklinski and expectedly he goes back to his house. Then he emerges with his wife very shortly after and starts driving down the street. By this time they've arranged enough police officers to basically set up a roadblock and they have a, a huge arrest operation going on. Kuklinski originally is resistant but his wife starts to resist. This is Barbara. Barbara, okay. yes, yeah. So he had two wives, one is Linda. He left her pretty young age. He did not seem to have any continued relationship with her, but Barbara was apparently very important to him because once she started in with the police, he immediately seems to surrender as far as the police accounts. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, he, he doesn't want her hurt. So they arrest him, and he is going to stand trial for numerous murders. But there's some interesting points. One of the things is that they don't really have any direct evidence against him in many of these killings. Um, however, basically they used, in part, the leverage that they had because they had charges against his wife because there was a gun inside of his car, and she was also inside of the car. Oh. So they have some leverage, and he decides initially he's going to plead guilty to two of the killings. And that gets him convicted and sentenced to what would effectively be most of his life. It was like close to 70 years. And then shortly after, he convicts, he uh, pleads guilty to two others, and he ends up with sentences that would have made him 111 years old by the time he would have been even eligible to go before a parole board. And again, it doesn't seem like Barbara knew that he was doing these things. Like, there might have been like an inkling in the back of her head, but she clearly was not a part of this, right? She was definitely not a part. What I believe Barbara knew was that probably that he was maybe breaking the law, mm -hmm. but I do not believe that Barbara knew that he was killing people. So I think she probably had her suspicions that even though he's claiming, yeah, I'm a successful businessman, he clearly is not a businessman. He doesn't, like, he can't hold a conversation about anything that a CEO would even know about. So Yeah, and, well, in that movie you recommended last week with Winona Ryder and Michael Shannon, mm -hmm. I think it was just called The Iceman. Craig and I watched it, actually, yep. after your recommendation. And the way that they portrayed her was 
like that she'd learned what I think currency exchange trading was, which is what he had told her she was doing. And she basically was saying stuff that is not currency exchange trading, but it was kind of like close enough, I guess, to yeah. sound reasonable without being accurate. And then they had another scene where they showed them like at dinner, at a dinner party, and somebody mentioned porn tapes, and she was like, porn? What do you mean mm-hmm. porn? Like, so that that was kind of interesting, so. Yeah, and Barbara, and she does many interviews. Her and his, one of his daughters, the one that was at one point engaged, her name escapes me for a second. She... Rhonda. Merrick. Merrick. Merrick Kuklinski. She did numerous art interviews, too. And, of course, Merrick is engaged to the person that helped him. Oh, <laughs> dismember the body in the tub, right? Oh, yeah, well, that's no, right. Well, no, dispose of the body. <laughs> so the body was already dismembered, but he had left his... He had his apartment. He's mar- He's engaged to Kuklinski's daughter. So Kuklinski has keys and everything to his apartment to watch over the place. He gets home, and Kuklinski's actually murdered somebody in his apartment. That's and right, they, yeah. He, he needs him to help him dispose of the body, and they just leave it somewhere in New Jersey. And he's like, yeah, this is, this is really the best thing you can do. You don't want to talk to law enforcement about things like this when there's just a dead body in your basement. You know, I mean... Why, yeah. why would you tell one? What's so weird about that is I listen to, obviously, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, and they, uh, too many of them end with, and so they, then they dismembered the body. Like, I don't think, if I was going to kill any one of you, by the way, I'm not going to say who's first, but I don't know that I'd think enough to dismember you people like that's crazy but it happens a lot it does and especially when you deal with mafia related crimes and they dismember in a certain way they take out the teeth so there's no dental identification they cut off the fingers so you can't get the hand or they actually cut off the entire hands because some people even have a palm print that's on record most people don't so and they'll cut off the feet and stuff like that so they basically they'll even cut out like parts of your skin if there's tattoos and stuff like that so that you just can't be recognized and that's why in the lady of the dunes right steve they thought it was mafia connected right yeah yeah and how would you like to be the guy who has that job Kuklinski enjoyed it. No, and and just talking to people like, I thought I was going to be a butcher. I don't know how I ended up here. I thought I was going to work in the deli at Price Chopper, and here I am, cutting up a different kind of body with a different kind of slicer. Probably actually less disgusting than some of the stuff you can get at Price Chopper. Good call, Steve. Whole Foods is looking good now. (laughs) Okay, Thrive Market. Just saying. Yeah, but yeah, definitely. And Kuklinski, and this kind of gets us into the whole conversation of why, how could he kill people so frequently and not get caught? And there's a lot that has to do with when you are a hit person, you're a hit man or a hit person, I guess, would be that's right. Better now, hit man, hit woman, Mm -hmm. hit hit person, yeah, so hit they, I don't know, Yeah, yeah, hit it. (laughs) <laughs> I hit it. I hit it. So, yeah, I mean, and you don't have any connection to the people you're killing. So one of the problems that law enforcement will have, obviously, when they discover the bodies that have been dismembered. Now, in 
the case of the Gemini Lounge, they like to make kind of like their own little puzzles out of the per person's body. Not only would they dismember bodies, but they'd mix the parts. <laughs> so you'd get like somebody else's leg with somebody's torso. And the I got head the penis. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> hey, I'm taking this home. <laughs> it brings a whole other idea to melting pot. Yeah. So I mean, so it or makes potluck. yeah it makes identification <laughs> quite hard. Yeah, I mean, you could play bingo <laughs> <laughs> on the bright side if you're in law enforcement. Yeah, I've bingo. got the thumb. <laughs> Steve has the penis. Bingo! <laughs> oh my goodness! So what do you win? A vagina. <laughs> So it's clear when we record in the evening as opposed to when we record in the morning, huh? <laughs> so, so, I mean, it, it creates a situation where you have somebody who has no motive whatsoever. Right. So when you're law enforcement and you discover a dead body, the first thing you would normally start to do is... After you've done trace, tracing the victim's last footsteps, is think about the people who are close to that person that would have motive. Because in most cases, if you are a victim of a homicide, you were probably well acquainted with whoever occasioned your death. So law enforcement isn't necessarily going to even think about mafia hitman and a lot of people who get killed by the mafia their families wouldn't even have any idea that they have anything to do with anybody in organized crime it's often you saw something you shouldn't have seen or you tried to buy some drugs or something like that those things that can provoke mafia killings well plus that if it's like your kid or something like that and you're like you're suspicious of their activities, mm -hmm. you don't want to think, oh my God, my kid's in a gang, or oh my God, my kid's in the mob, or you know what I mean? You want to think something else is going on, right? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, most of the people that end up getting killed by mafia types, they're not big time mafia players, so law enforcement is also not necessarily gonna be aware, oh yeah, these people are somebody that you would find hanging out with Roy DeMeo. They're just not gonna know that. So it's immediately, he's not gonna be a suspect in most of the killings that he's committed. So that's part of the reason he doesn't get caught. How smart he actually is is highly exaggerated in the Iceman tapes. The I think HBO kind of almost puts him out as like this criminal genius. That's really a stretch. He's not a genius. He's just not a suspect. He's just like a psychopath, right? Yeah. That's able to kill people. He is right. definitely a psychopath, yeah. And we'll talk about psychopath, too. Why would, why would anybody be like Richard Kuklinski? Mm -hmm. what, what's going on there? And, but when he <clears throat> eventually gets caught, it is mostly by happenstance. He's made arrangements with the people that he killed that his family happened to be aware of. Now, they didn't know who Richard Kuklinski was, but when you're a police officer and you find a murder victim, the first thing you do is you try to trace that victim's footsteps. So who was he supposed to meet that day? And they get five in a row. 
Yeah. So they get a bingo. Bingo. So. <laughs> might be a frozen one. But. It might be a frozen <laughs> penis, but, you But know. frozen is still hard. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God, okay. guys. As long as you thaw okay. it all the way. <laughs> <laughs> or when you're done with it, you thaw it all the way. Mm. <laughs> oh, we've gone down a dark, dark, dark tunnel. So once it's thawed, I mean, and it's cut off, does it still come? <laughs> oh my God, Steve! <laughs> I think oh we need God. to like find the medical expert on that. Yes, we do. I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go with no because I feel to, like. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Gracia. Can you Google that, please? I can go to Vermont and try it out. <laughs> you'll have some willing suspects like yeah I'll, I'll test that theory <laughs> true and while steve keeps mentioning vermont i don't know if all of our listeners know about that but it probably is more likely to find dismembered penises in fall river uh, you, yeah sure. you definitely are more likely to find dismembered people in fall river i mean just yeah and, and just dicks in general <laughs> But not just frozen dicks. I mean, they, you know, they, they come in all flavors in Fall River. You know, like they fire do. dicks, you got... They have a lot of tools, too. So. Oh, wow. I mean, the fifth grade boy and all of us just... Uh, True story. Anyway, Dave. Anyway, so... That's the story. That should be my nickname, anyway. <laughs> anyway, Steve. <laughs> I'll stop calling you brother-in-law, Steve. And start calling... But anyway, Steve. <laughs> or the penis, Steve. Uh, penis, Steve, might be appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, penis? <laughs> <laughs> but then you won't know that I'm talking to you, because I always ask my own penis. <laughs> So your name is Penis Steve. Oh my god, I almost spit out my wine. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so where were we before we talked about Polish penises? Bingo. Bingo. Gracie goes, we were at bingo. <laughs> no, that's what got us the Polish penises that thought. She's still trying to figure out what she had. So, Gracious, but you were talking no about how the, the investigators would go and find out who you were last. Oh, supposed yes. To okay. So, Mr. yeah. Mr. Paying attention. Bingo, five in a room. doesn't make fun of me. Who said that? So, so in, that, in the case of Kuklinski, though, most of the people he claims to have killed, he would not have had direct connections to. Now, obviously, there is the ice cream man that he could have... Mr. Softy. Mr. Softy, yep. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that that wasn't a hard ever. one, you remember. <laughs> that is a tough one, yep. That's awesome. Thanks. But, um, We're going to get, like, how many penis jokes can you get in one oh. hour? <laughs> We're going to find out, yeah. girl. <laughs> But when you have, other than the potential of witnesses that had seen them together, there's not like connections. Like, uh, according to Kuklinski, they never exchanged like phone numbers or anything. So they, they had to find each other in person. So they leave very little paper trail. So. Oh, how cute. 
And so if you're like Roy DeMeo, you're not going to directly accost Kuklinski. You're going to have one of your other idiots go and talk to Kuklinski when you needed somebody killed. And you're not going to have any type of record that could tie back to you. So it's not entirely shocking that somebody who was a hitman and killing people that he had no connection to could get away with it for a long period of time. So, but now let's talk about some of the claims that Kuklinski has made over the year. Oh, well, actually, let's finish up on his life first. So, Kuklinski goes to prison. He will never live to get out. He gives then several interviews, and I've mentioned them sometime, uh, a couple times on this last couple weeks. They're called the Iceman Tapes, and they were originally, I think, done by HBO. They are... Him interviewing first just random people, and then he speaks with a psychiatrist named Dr. Dietz. Now, I'm going to warn the viewers about something here. This is like a trigger, trigger alert or something. Well, so one of the things that they have when you first watch the opening credits, because we're going to go into the debates in a minute. And it says that some of the artifacts were recreated based on specific accounts. So there's a lot of times where they'll show what looked like a legitimate newspaper article when actually they recreated what a newspaper article would have looked like (laughs) had this actually been reported or true. So cool tactic, bro. <laughs> yeah. So there is there is sometimes where it looks like oh yeah they're citing a very var- verifiable source that this actually took place when actually no there was no newspaper article related to that. So I do like to warn people about that. But what is not fake is Dr. Dietz is a actual psychiatrist and. He spent a considerable amount of time interviewing Kuklinski, and he diagnosed him with first what they call antisocial personality disorder. Now, this is very obvious with him, the killing of animals, and the lack of attack is definitely two very common signs. And Kuklinski, much like Aaron Hernandez, he goes from a very nice house, very nice, lovely wife, to a prison cell, and he really doesn't seem to care. Well, what's interesting to me about that is that you say he had lack of attachment, right? Yeah. But the Iceman movie with mm-hmm. Michael Shannon and Winona Ryder, they really showed him as being very attached to his wife, to which his I think wife. you've yes. referenced, too, is that he was very mm-hmm. attached to her and his two daughters with her. I two think? daughters he had with her and he had sons with uh, Linda. So it's weird to me how that works, right? It's like you're not completely a disassociative personality, right? Because there's yeah. these things that you love and want and whatever. And there are very few things, so, but for most of us, like, we can attach to just any given, a chair. you know, things. A, a chair. A chair. Uh, I've got some great handbags I cannot get rid of. Yeah, I mean, but he can't attach to things like that. So, like, he has a nice car, but he doesn't care about that nice car. And much like Aaron Hernandez, and this is the thing that I think shocked people the most, is they see Aaron Hernandez going in court, and here's a guy that would, had just signed, what, a $44 million deal or yeah, something? Yeah, for those um, people who don't know, for our listeners outside of Massachusetts, 
Aaron Hernandez was the wide receiver for the New England Patriots and went to the Super Bowl with them, but he was one of Tom Brady's number one hits, right? Like, mm-hmm. he would throw yeah. it to him every single time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was so tall and very athletic, so I, I did like Gronk better, but I think Aaron Hernandez was actually drafted higher than Gronk, if I'm not mistaken. I'm actually not sure. Not sure, okay. Yeah, we're going to have to cover him, though. Yeah, but, you know, the thing about him is, and it's the same thing, it's when, you know, and there's a lot of theories that talk about how does that actually develop in a person, but one of those theories is that when you are an infant and you cry and you need food or you need whatever it is you need, if your parents are not very consistent or they're very angry with you, as Kuklinski's parents were probably very angry at, at him anytime he cried when he was a baby. Um, and he was probably hit for it. Gosh. And yeah, I mean, so. So, well, like, I'd, I'd never hit a baby. No. But as a mother of four children and four sets of Irish, two sets of Irish twins, right? I can remember being like, oh, why the fuck are you still crying? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, oh my God, shut the fuck up. Not that I ever did anything yeah. to the babies, but there's also a group of people who think that in parenting, you let your kid right. cry it out, I which, yeah, that. we've never, no, Craig and I no. never did that. But some people do. They put their babies in yeah. their cribs and then let them cry it out, right? So... Could that cause this? I, I think it can. It might not cause this level, but it can definitely cause this type of personality that just never feels like they're quite right in the world, and they never feel safe in the world, and their needs aren't safe, so they can't develop normal things that we develop as we, we grow older. We develop the ability to have relationships. Um, hey, Gracia, how did you do it with your kids? Just curious. I did not let them cry. No. I picked them up. Yeah. Uh, I know that there's that theory that, like, letting them cry lets them self-soothe and they start to learn things. And I get it, and I get why some people do it. But I think that for most of the time that my kids cried, they just wanted to be touching me for a moment. And if I can be yeah. that security at any time yeah. in their life. Yeah. I want them to know, like, throughout their life, I'll always be there. And I think that that kind of starts at a young age. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? There's an age to be doing that, not not when they're a baby. Yeah. And, and mom, when they're older, you know? Yeah, like two. Yeah. <laughs> they're still crying out. Steve's yeah. like, oh, you're what two now. <laughs> Fuck you. Get out there. Earn a, earn a living, kid. Get into modeling. Go walk to school. <laughs> and the consistency the is very important. Oh, sorry. And what? some cultures. That's okay. I, I do see how some cultures believe it. I do see how some cultures feel that it's that way, like that it's important. So I don't want to knock their cultures because I haven't lived in them. It's just my personal experience and my parents were very self-soothing. So I kept that because I think it's a loving thing and I'm a very loving person. So. Well, right. And that's the other side of the coin, right, is that this is what we know. Right, so like I knew to co-parent because probably my mom was. I, I don't remember what my parents are doing, but and that's the thing. Not co-parent. I mean, yeah, no. I was confused by that one. Co-sleep, <laughs> like not let your baby cry it out. You and, know. and that's the thing. And like when you have trauma after you develop a spoken language and you've aged, for example, when we were kids, if there was a death in the family, that's a trauma. But it's one that we can identify. It's one that we can talk about. But the traumas that happen in infancy 
you don't have a recollection of, you don't have a way to communicate to it, and you don't even really know it's impacting you. If the theory that it is impacting you happens to be true, I yeah. tend to believe it. Most psychologists tend to believe it, but you know, there's obviously there's obviously some people who don't believe it. Well, so like with Kuklinski, being in his crib, being forced to cry it out, that probably is traumatic, but some people will take that trauma one way, yeah. and some people will take that trauma another way. It's probably the physical abuse that you think maybe yeah, followed it. Yeah, and I think the physical abuse yeah. probably started even in infancy, yeah. um, from everything I've read Ooh. about both Isn't of his parents. Isn't that amazing? Can yeah. you even imagine? They were pretty sick people. I mean, I do believe this is one of the stories we'll debate as, um, or that there's a debate on, did he actually, did his father actually kill his brother? I do believe that that is true. And that was the brother who was sick that fell down, yeah. funny mm. quotes, fell down the flight of scares, right? Yeah. So. Stairs. Oh my God. And uh, the thing is, is that Kuklinski's other brother was a killer. So Kuklinski... Really? Yes. And he killed a 12-year-old child. He followed her home. She lived in New York City. And you know how, like, in the apartments is kind of the rooftop. So he follows her home. He gets into her apartment building, takes her up on the roof, sexually assaults her, murder, murders her and her dog. So he takes <gasps> them both and, and just dog? throws them from off the roof of the apartment. Now, he got caught right away. So he only ends up killing one person and one dog that we know of. That's um, one dog too many. Yeah. There's also okay. one, I agree. Well, it's one 12-year-old girl. One 12-year-old too, oh, too, too many. Right. But yeah. I take that back. So that really, like, throughout life as we think about the nature versus nurture, right? Yeah. That seems like that's a nurture thing. Well, I, I guess maybe it could be. Yeah, right? Because so, both brothers are murderers. And the yeah. father's got there's there's got There's got to be wiring in the brain that does this, too. So, so yeah, I like think. What, like you were saying, if you let them cry, one would take that one way, one would take the other. Or maybe it's part of the wiring which way you go. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think it's like it's a recipe, not an ingredient. Right. Like if you think about like the most horrible people in history, like Adolf Hitler and Heinrich Himmler, it's not just one thing. It's a combination of a lot of things right. that makes you that sick and psychotic. You you can't. It's not just yes, Hitler was abused. Yes, he had severe head injury at some point in World War One. I. I didn't know yes. any of this shit about um, Hitler, by the way. Yeah, he, he, he should be did get a head injury in World War One. He was severely abused. He also, at one point, tried to... He seemed to try to develop a relationship with a Jewish woman Ooh. right before the First World <laughs> War started. Well, see, this is the thing, is that she basically rejected him. And I think when you com start combining things like pathological narcissism... And rejection, and that's a huge trigger, right? Narcissists cannot accept rejection at all. So they really take it the wrong way. Well, um, knowing that about Hitler, I'm taking my poster off the wall. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I think we can edit that one out. Oh, come on! <laughs> Oh, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, we can cancel that tattoo appointment, Steve. <laughs> it's too late. Just kidding. Just kidding, listeners. We don't support Nazis. 
course you, I don't. You could not find <laughs> a more. <laughs> I, I, work, I just don't think that people could find a more leftist leaning group of people than we are. <laughs> but so far in our podcast, we've come across this lesbian shaming, midget shaming, and now pro Nazis. <laughs> Mark Fear was supporting Nazis. How did that happen? <laughs> uh, maybe we should cut the cocktails part out of the. Possibly. <laughs> Says Dave, who doesn't drink. <laughs> no way. I think people like that part. So does Steve. I love it. <laughs> Good, Steve. We're keeping it. Fuck them. Fuck them. We do this for us. Free Britney. Okay, go ahead, Dave. So, so yeah, I mean, another interesting thing that he diagnoses him with was, and this is interesting because he diagnoses him with paranoid personality disorder. Now, that's kind of actually a little bit unexpected because when you think about that particular disorder, well, one of the common things that you would think about if you were dealing with somebody with that is that with their spouse, they would tend to be extremely controlling and they would, they, they're always convinced that their spouse is going to have an affair or things like that. That's pretty common in that type of a mental illness. And he, as far as we know, and we'll talk about his relationship with his wife in a minute, that was not one of his issues with his wife. He doesn't get jealous of her, try and control her that anybody ever talks about. So it's interesting if he had that disorder. Because if you see even pictures of her in the 90s interviews, I mean, she was a pretty woman. So generally speaking, somebody with that type of disorder, especially if they're married to somebody who's very attractive, is going to have a lot of difficulty, like, just handling that she's going grocery shopping. Well, um, you know, ugly women could also, you know, cheat. So. <laughs> well, ugly women Jesus could, but Christ. when you're when you're somebody who is delusional, it becomes even harder to handle when your wife is attractive. Okay, so um, beside the fact of ugly attractive, back in the 70s, early 80s, even into the 90s, right, men still controlled the household, right? Oh, yeah. So maybe it didn't come across as paranoid to some people, and maybe it came across as normal. Like now, if I went to the grocery store and Craig was like, my wife is at the grocery store, what is she doing? What is, oh, she's on Facebook, what is she doing? What is she doing? Like that would seem paranoid. But back in the 80s, I feel like, or the late 70s, he probably would have had the right question. Or, or it would have, not the right it would have been more accepted. It would have definitely been more acceptable behavior. And in fact, domestic abuse in and of itself was far more accepted behavior in the 70s and 80s. Craig does not domestically abuse me. She's too scared to say anything. Yeah. But when you think about, like... (laughs) <laughs> People with that type of issue, they go into those jealous rages. And she doesn't describe, because she's given interviews about, like, what was he like as a husband? And she does describe him as very night and day. Like, he's very lovey-dovey one day and extremely temperamental the next. Mm. But she doesn't describe him as being jealous or controlling, really. So... It's interesting because obviously it could be could have been going on and she just doesn't feel like t- 
talking about it, and that's also very plausible and understandable. I mean, you probably don't want to talk about all the things that this guy did to you. But, you know, I always found that one interesting. And the other thing is, yeah, he kills, part of Dietz's logic was he killed people that were close to him, like in the robbery circles, that knew things about him. Well, that actually doesn't necessarily constitute paranoia. When you're worried about criminals rat ratting you out to save their own ass, you're not paranoid. You just, you, you hang out with criminals. You're a realist. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. And I'm obviously I'm not sitting here questioning a licensed psychiatrist, especially world-renowned one. But I, I did find that one interesting. And there is a, a YouTube doctor that I do like his most of his videos, and his name is Dr. Grande. And he also found that one kind of interesting. I think with Kuklinski, it's hard to really put your finger on all of the things that are wrong with him, though. But... One of the interesting differences between psychopaths and when you think about like maybe somebody who's narcissistic is that he doesn't have the, he doesn't care about the consequences. And that makes a lot of people like a Kuklinski even more dangerous because to him it's like, yeah, if I get caught killing you, then I'm caught killing you. Whereas right. there are definitely people who they kill a lot of people like Ted Bundy but they actually care mm -hmm. about not being caught. So, whereas Kuklinski really didn't give a shit, it doesn't seem. And he really, the only thing that he seems to miss is his wife. He also talks about, and this is another interesting thing about him, he said the only thing that really ever gave him joy in life was now... Says every guy in the world. Well, <laughs> see, the problem with that is that that's actually... A very bizarre statement Ooh. from like uh, don't tell Craig well, um, <laughs> from the idea that it's that's more of a physical pleasure than it is like when you say like what gives you joy you usually would associate like a little like, awkward being in the room with my brother and my brother-in-law <laughs> and my husband at this point in the conversation Gracia what do you think about <laughs> what, what gives you pleasure well, see, it's well, joy, no, not pleasure, like, that he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's when you think, yeah, sure. I mean, joy is like joy to the world. The Lord is born. Pleasure Agreed. is like, what kind of Thank choice you. you're having. Thank you. No. Pleasure is different <laughs> than joy. Pleasure is totally different. Yeah, I mean, if you like, say what brings me joy, it's friendship, family, like easy stuff like that, right? And then pleasure, way different. We don't have We're to go there. We're thinking too but. hard about this. <laughs> Possibly. No, we're not. We're totally different words. <laughs> like when when somebody Greg says the word back. joy to you, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? It's not it's necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. But, <laughs> I shouldn't you know, do that. And that's kind of the association. And with Kuklinski, it's not. Again, it's part of that. There's no real emotional attachment to things or people. It's. It's like he has this physical attachment. So he can definitely realize that he enjoys the feeling of an orgasm who doesn't, but the actual intimate psychological attachment just 
really isn't as there as he may think it is. It's like he has more of a physical connection to his wife more than anything else. So as much as I like to laugh about this, I actually did a paper on this in college because one of my favorite songwriters of all time, who I think writes lyrics that we identify with, that we feel in our souls. The person, no, it's Adam (laughs) Duritz from Counted Crows suffers from uh, dissociative disorder. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what he says is he can't make connections with people he mm-hmm. d- at all, period, end of story. He just can't do it. And it fascinated me. The reason why I wrote the paper on him was because it, it, it was like, these, like I don't know if you people will listen to Counting Crows or not. I can't I understand what he's saying, so that might be why. But the lyrics are so... Down in the New Amsterdam. They're so deep, and they're so full of emotion, and they're so full of everything, like regret or hope or pain or love. or like They're really amazing, the level of feelings. And to know that somebody like that doesn't experience those feelings well, for people. Well, so he has a different type of mental But it kind of sounds like the same, though. right? Like well, this so disassociative where you can't connect with people you don't feel people's emotions you don't care about people yeah it's definitely it comes in there's parallels but i actually thought didn't he have multiple personality disorder no he says he has disassociative okay yeah i mean it's interesting but you know a lot of people who you know one of the things you think about like with psychopaths they are aware that they don't think like most people. Really? Yes. Whereas narcissists are not. Narcissists tend to have this like belief that everybody thinks and acts like me. They just hide it. Uh, and really? I yeah. Didn't know that. But psychopathic people on the other side of things tend to actually they're aware. And if you watch the Kuklinski tapes. He's aware that there, there's something really fucked up about, about me. And he knows that. And he's aware that, no, most people aren't like me and just pretending not to be. And most people don't have the thoughts that I have. He has this awareness that. about that. Whereas if you think about, and I use the example of the, everybody's favorite narcissist, Donald Trump, he has this... Like, I've got his baseball card. Projection. He has one. <laughs> he has this idea that whenever he's accused of something, he has to say somebody else did it. You ever notice that about him? It's projection. It's also like this whole, I'm not abnormal kind of idea that somebody who is more on the narcissistic side of things has, but Kuklinski wouldn't necessarily. He's well aware. I'm a fucked up dude. And he knows he should care about killing people, and he just doesn't. So it's interesting when you bring up the guy from the Counting Crows because it's almost like he was pro- he's probably more aware that there's something wrong with the way he is, or something not normal. I shouldn't say there's something wrong with the, guy, the way the guy in the car and the crows is. It's just not typical development. But he's probably aware of that. He's probably well aware that most people can develop a very meaningful relationship and he is probably able to observe other people 
in their relationships and actually gain quite a bit of insight as to why is this person feeling this way. So it's interesting, I mean, to think about because there's a lot of artists that are in the spectrums, supposedly. I've heard that there's a lot more than we realize that have uh, different types of autistic spectrum disorders, and I don't know that that's actually factual, but I've definitely heard that from numerous sources, and a lot of those people can, I mean, they, they write lyrics. I, I definitely, one of the things I can, I can write music, but I cannot write words. My hmm. words suck. But there is no such thing as, like, normal, though, because you say no, like, typical I, development Typical stuff, development, like, yeah. Everyone thinks differently, even if on the outward people seem the same, but... You know, internally, people think differently. Yeah, know? but well, it's not just how you think. It's no, like but it's your behaviors are. Like, um, well, can I ask better. you guys a question, honestly? All of you, and even you, Gracia. So hopefully, Gracia's on Zoom today. That's why I say it like that. But have you ever had like the? Okay, totally honest. One time, I was having a sleepover with a boyfriend. In band camp. Yeah, in band camp, and I thought, while well, he was sleeping, and I was not. I could smother him and kill him with my pillow. Uh And Craig and I had this conversation later, so hopefully we don't get in a lot of trouble for this. But, you know, like if you've ever been on a cruise ship or something where you thought, I could just push that person over the edge, right? We all have those psychotic, right? Those moments. Impulses. Looking looking over a cliff, like, yeah, I could just push him. (laughs) Exactly. I say this this all the time. I talk to people, because people always like, think it's weird that I'm so, I don't want to say infatuated with crime, but I've always, you guys have known me for a very long time, I've always kind of been interested in this, the mind of a criminal. It's always been something I've been interested in, and people are always like, why? And I'm like, because we're all on the brink of killing somebody. Exactly. What stops us fascinates me. And what I t- stops you from actually doing it? It fascinates me. What differentiates us? Yeah. And I, I talk a lot about narcissism, and there's everybody has a degree of narcissism and if we didn't we actually wouldn't live we would not our species wouldn't survive if we weren't at times selfish but when we when i guess when i say we talk about normal development a normally developed person may still sometimes be selfish but if you have normal development and uh, somebody says to you, yesterday you were, I think you were being really selfish, you'd have the ability to reflect back on that and say, maybe I was, True. maybe I was. These are things that when we say like typical development, so we're not saying that you're a perfectly normal person or that there's such a thing, but it's like it's you have the abilities to self-reflect, you have the abilities to have empathy for others, you have all these things that when you talk about somebody who doesn't have, who has, say, pathological narcissism or is a psychopath, they have no empathy. They don't have empathy for others. They don't have the ability to reflect on their own behaviors. It's not just an unwillingness, it's like they don't really have the ability. So it's kind of like saying, I, I guess, for lack of a better term, we use the term typical, or I use the term typical development or something like that. I'm not saying that there's a, there's like a normal 
but yeah, there's, there's certain it. things that you should develop as a as an individual by the time you reach adulthood. It's like I had an imaginary friend when I was four, not when I was 34. Well, I guess this is the big question for me, right? So going along with what Gracia said, this is why I think maybe I like true crime too, is what differentiates people who go out and do these things like the Iceman? Like, what if we had been offered, what if I had been offered a million dollars to shoot somebody in the head? Would I have done it? I've had these thoughts, like I just said, like I completely admitted to that. Would I do it for a million dollars? Because that would benefit my family. Or like the guy in the County Crows who was like, boy, I don't even understand emotion. I don't feel connections to people. But he writes these incredible lyrics where it's all about connection to people and emotion and like it blows my mind like mm-hmm. that we can fake it maybe that he can yeah. fake it at that level but what separates us from the ice man how do not we not become I, him i think I, I i well i think with the ice man not as probably more than what we normally say there's a lot that separates uh, us from the ice man like it if you were to try to dismember a person, you'd probably bomb. Okay, Most I already said that would. I was yeah. going to. Yeah, I, um, I already said if I was going to so. kill one of you people, I would not dismember you. So no, I, you're just going to go in the water for me. You're going in the water, Gracia. See, Gracia's throwing you in the water. And he, like, he can kill somebody, cut somebody apart, dissect them. He can do all these things with just, and, and it doesn't impact him at all. So. Like, he doesn't have a, this is important to also understand, he has no compulsion to kill. Like, you would think about, like, when you think about a serial killer like Ted Bundy, he has a compulsion. Right, a need, right? This man doesn't have a need or a compulsion to kill anybody. And in fact, I could kind of give you the opposite scenario. What would have happened if Kuklinski's Barbara's, say, father owned a used car lot, gives him a job, about ready to retire and just retires and says, you take over the line. Kuklinski's pulling down a couple hundred grand. I think in that situation, Kuklinski might go through his entire life without getting in, into any trouble. That's really interesting. So, yeah. so they're all just a victim of circumstance is what you're saying. I, I wouldn't say a victim of circumstance, but I'd say our circumstances definitely influence. Yeah, we're yeah. a product. Yeah, yeah, a product of circumstance. We're all I mean, a product of our... <clears throat> That's interesting. That's an interesting perspective. You know, and if you, for example, if you thought like somebody like, I'm trying to use a good example of somebody who really isn't a psychopath that's in prison for murder, and there are there are plenty of them, but I just oh, we have a cousin that's in prison for murder. No, that's a psychopath not in prison. Oh no, I'm talking about people who are who've committed murders that really aren't psychopathic or narcissistic well, there or are, anything. And go ahead, Gracia. There are women who are in prison for killing their husbands after abuse, and they're mm-hmm. still there because they were not protected and they ended up killing their husbands. Oh. It was their only way out. So those women are somebody who aren't psychotic. They, they only saw one way out. Nobody yep. helped them. There was a huge story, actually, about a girl who was like 16 or 17, and she killed her dad, stepdad, foster dad, something like that. Do you guys remember the story? And they can, yeah, right? And he was raping her and beating her, and she eventually just like fucking flipped and killed him. And she's in jail forever 
and her stepdad they wouldn't even give her like a protection order or whatever it was like mm. That was yeah. crazy. Okay. But yeah, you're right, Gracia. That's a good example. There are many The burning bed with Farrah Fawcett, that was based on a true story. What is that you about? Can you just synopsize? Yeah, it's a, a story about a woman who her husband was uh, an alcoholic who beat her and the kids all the time. And she just, she called law enforcement. Everybody just kept saying to her, like, you should start obeying your husband. Yeah. This wouldn't happen to you if you just did what he said. They, I mean, this is a long time ago where things were different. And I don't excuse that, but... That's what the cops were kept saying to her. So one night he was drunk and passed out and she lit his bed on fire and got the fuck out of there. Good girl. <laughs> you know, she was like, this is the only way I'm going to protect me and my kids. Nobody's helping me. I've gone to everybody. And these are all based on stories of women who are, their backs are against the wall. What are they supposed to do if nobody's going to help them? Right. You know? Right. Exactly. And there are other cases probably, say, somebody gets themselves into a gambling debt. And they get worried that well, this guy's coming after me, and they decide they're going to shoot first. And that person's not necessarily psychotic. Right. They're not necessarily a narcissist. They're self-pervationists. Yeah, I mean, they're that? just... Perservant? Perverts? No, what's the word? <laughs> what's the word, Craig? Self-preservation. Preservation. Self-preservation. I mean, bad decisions that kind of dominoed on them and put them in... And not that I'm making excuses for people who get kill loan sharks or gambling debt to kill their way out of gambling debts but that person's not necessarily always going to be the same level of mental illness mm. as somebody like Kuklinski who's clearly mentally ill yeah um, but to me this is the interesting part of the story yeah like the whole story's been interesting I like the first episode mm -hmm. I like this episode we went out and watched a movie on your recommendation and stuff like that but this is <laughs> But this is this is the part that's interesting. What is the difference between Kuklinski and somebody else? And a lot of people, I would say, but not maybe not as many with Kuklinski, because I think Kuklinski can kill without any motive, without any empathy, without really any reason whatsoever. Where I think most of us, like we would need a reason or a motive not just like somebody giving us money not Steve uh, I have too much empathy like I, I, I even if you gave me two billion dollars no, I still have that attachment feeling of that person experiencing that in their family you have to figure and, out what you would do to kill there's gotta be something you would do yeah there might be something you'd do but not me like if you were to give me two billion dollars I could take care of my entire family yeah, you still. people included like my kids like so what is that person really offering the world i mean i i'd think about it for sure it's, it's kind of like the movie saw have you ever seen those those are pretty cool those like, are gross have you seen it? <laughs> they are gross but I saw that's the a first good point one. but they give you the, the, he gives you the the yeah the yeah. yeah yeah so. like uh you either kill him or he kills you yeah what's it gonna yeah. do yeah those are gross yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually think that Steve has a good point there. That is that is very similar. You know, yeah. where he says, like, cut up your hand and you'll get a million dollars or whatever. There's different ones that he does. It's not always just kill another person. Sometimes it's like dismember your own body to get whatever. Mm. And how much is your hand worth to you? Um, yeah, you got, you got another one. Do you too? Like, <laughs> you start rationing it. But you start rationalizing those things for that much money, right? You know. I mean, I'd cut off one of my feet for a million dollars, probably. Oh. One of your feet? No you way. fall over. Like, 
feet are so important. You guys are too infatuated with money. Well, no, I mean, like, then you don't have to get off the couch as much. You have, like, the perfect reason not to. Exactly. And so to it's just like, sit on the couch, watch TV all day. Yeah. I fear karma. I got no foot. At least take my left one so I can at least drive with my right, I guess. I don't know. So, do we have anything else left to say about the <laughs> Oh, yeah, we have fun. Poor Craig. Right. We're running up to your bedtime. So. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about, first of all, the Iceman, how, what happens to him. So, let's wrap him up. So, the Iceman does go to jail, and on March 5th, 2006, he develops, or in 2006, he developed a rare blood disease referred to as Kawasaki disease. Nice. Is like, yeah, I like want, I want that disease. I, no, you don't. <laughs> like, dude, I got Kawasaki. So he requests requests that they do not give him a DNR. Do not recess. But Barbara gets involved and says, no, he can have a DNR. Which means that if he should start to die or go into some kind of thing, mm. emergency medical services won't try to save him oh. if there's a DNR on file. Gotcha. I do not resuscitate. Just let him die. No, so how, how do we put those on people? Uh, just don't pay your insurance for like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They'll ask for your insurance card first. Yeah. yeah. So you're fine. <laughs> So, yeah, and so he went into cardiac arrest on March 5th, 2006, and he died. He was 70 years old. And just a side note, he was going to testify against Gravano in the murder of Peter Calabro, which we talked about the a cop, little bit right? cop last week. But obviously, since he was dead, the charges against uh, Gravano. Hmm. Now, let's talk about the various things that he claimed. And I'm going to start with some of the things that I think are not true. One of his st stories was that he killed people using rats and he would film it and he would basically put them in what he called these caves. And we'll talk about which caves they were. And he would basically put them in bondage in these caves and the rats would eat them. Both Spewlunks and experts on rats, which, believe it or not, there are quite a few. Well, we use rats all the time in research. So there's actually a well-researched, well-known-about creature. And the caves where he's talking about, which are in northern Pennsylvania, they do have a couple species of rats, but both the Spewlunks and expert people who study rats say these rats would never... Uh, swarm and start biting on you. That's just not what they would do. If you tied somebody up in one of those caves, they would die of exposure, but they would not be eaten by rats. Even if you tried to like put cheese or whatever, <laughs> it's not going to do it. Do so. you like tie up a bot a person who's like still alive, and then you put like squares of American cheese on them? Yeah, it's like it's like one of those <laughs> things where it's based on misconception. It's like, rats don't watch enough bondage porn to actually realize a person is <laughs> tied up. going to come back to the bondage porn. Yeah, Always like, about it's bondage not, porn with Dave. Yeah, and it's <laughs> like, well, the rat's not going to actually be aware that you can't get your hands free. I mean, the rat's not that intelligent. Rats oh. are relatively intelligent rodents, but they're not that smart. They're mm -hmm. not like, oh, those are handcuffs. <laughs> you can't do nothing. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Bon appetit. No, that's not what rats do. I mean, I agree. They're pretty stupid. Ratatouille. Yeah. Okay. I find dead ones in my pool all the time. So, so I tend to, and there has never been human remains discovered in any of these caves where he claims these incidents took place. So it's probably false. He also claims, like just about everybody who's ever been associated with organized crime, that he was involved in Jimmy Hoffa's death. Oh, yes. So, Same. Um, Me too. Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we were all there. We all <laughs> killed Hoffa and we all killed Kennedy. Yep. Okay. Same. I, I wasn't born yet, but still. Yeah. Same. Well, and he wasn't in the mob or associated to anybody who was a made man in the mob at the time of the Hoffa killing. So, I mean, it's pretty obvious that he's just full of shit. Or Kawasaki. <laughs> He was full of Kawasaki. Now, there are claims, though, that I do believe. I do believe that he had some involvement with the DeMeo crew, and I believe that he was an associate and a killer for hire for the Mafia. I don't think he was as much as the go-to guy as he claims. I think they have a lot of go-to guys. But he had to be relatively high up for them to use him in a killing of a cop. So they would not have given this to any random nitwit because when you kill a cop, even when you're in the mafia, you can't have this go wrong. You can't just shoot the guy and have him live. Right. You've got to make sure you cost somebody who's going to get the job done. So I tend to think that, yes, he was involved. I tend to think he does exaggerate a how important he was. He could have never been a made man because he was Polish. So stupid Pollock. Yeah. And he was a midget. No. He wasn't a midget. He was the opposite. He was the opposite. He was six foot five, three hundred pounds. And the, the thing to remember is when Pollock. you see a person that size, if you're a criminal, you're like just like in the Lion King, hey what if he's on our side? It's kind of you see a guy that big, you he, he's interesting to you. Yeah. So, it's, it, so it doesn't shock me that if he was making porn, which we know he was making fake porn, I was bootlegging porn. It's like, how do you make fake porn? <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was making pirated porn. It was pirate porn, but not like, Arr, Arr, get an eye patch and a red hook. Let's have the sex. What are you, ninety? That's pirate porn. <laughs> <laughs> so, he was he was pirating porn. Obviously, Roy DeMeo did have a lot of involvement with some of these seedy establishments down in Jersey. And there's probably quite a few of them in the 70s, especially, because there's probably quite a few of them now. So, not hard to believe his story. And it would be hard to see how he could have made the kind of money that he very apparently had in the 70s and 80s if all he was doing was his very barely more than minimum wage job and then making some pirated movies on the side and maybe robbing a few houses of black and white TVs with bunny ears. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not going to make this kind of money doing that. He had to be doing something else. And if he was doing a huge operation of like burglary or car stripping, police would have already had a file on him. They would have figured out there's something wrong here by then. And so I do think that, yes, he probably did have some involvement in organized crime. And the other thing to point out is Dominic Pollan 
Right. I can't now. Now it's like a, it's a tough name. It is a tough name. When he went undercover, he went to places where he knew mafia related people were frequenting. So, I mean, he didn't do that because he didn't think this guy was involved in organized crime. Mm-hmm. So, I think, sorry. No, I was going to say, what kind of notoriety do you think he'd have if it wasn't for the frozen body, like, and being called the Iceman? Seems like he's, like, he's up here where he's really right down here. Well, and the other thing was, and I was going to get into this too, he claims he killed over 200 people eventually. Now, in his first Iceman tape, he says it was more than 100. But then in his next one, he's willing to go as high as 200. I don't think it was even a, I, t- I tend to doubt that. I think it was probably more than 10 or 20, but I don't think we're getting into triple digits here. The thing is, when you're in prison, no matter how big you are, you're going to say things that make people not want to fuck with you. Right. So, I mean, and... Not that I think many people looked at him and say, hey, I think I'm going to see what this guy will do to me. Because he'd be happy to right. <laughs> indulge you. And, yeah, but I, I just, I don't think we're talking in the hundreds. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're probably, I know Dominic Pollan. I was making him in an interview estimated 15 to 20. I think it's probably more than that. But well, decades, right? Yeah, it was decades he was if doing If you're a this. mafia hit guy, I imagine yeah. you're expected to kill more than one person per year. Yeah. Right. Right. And there's a lot of hit guys, right, back then? So it's yeah. like... There were a lot of them. That's like the only thing that made this guy different was probably the Iceman factor. Yeah. The Iceman, the fact that he got caught and the fact that he was willing to talk and gave yeah. the interviews. I mean, And he, the creepy sound on that, too. Yeah. yeah, and he definitely indulged giving the interviews. Like, he liked yeah. attention. This is something you definitely can tell about this he guy. He sounded like it, yeah. Yeah, he, he definitely likes that everybody thought this was so cool. And he cares a little bit, and this was an interesting thing, too. Because at one point, and this is kind of a funny story he tells, where he's talking about dressing up as a gay guy, because nobody pays attention to gay guys in a bar. So he's saying, I'm wearing this banana shirt, and I'm getting all kinds of swishy. And it's like, swishy? Also offensive. Swishy. Sorry, so, gay, gay people. Swishy. I think it is something to offend gay people with. And getting he, all swishy? Swishy. You like your feathering out your tail there for a little bit of pound town action. And so he says, right after he makes that remark, oh, I think I'm going to offend people. Like, pretty sure we did. So, so, well, this isn't something you would normally think a killer like him would care. Like, oh, gee, I've just offended the gay community. I killed 200 people. I mean, like, that's probably even more. He's an activist. Yeah. So, I mean, he. It's interesting that he seems to care to some extent what people think yeah, of him that is in that interesting. regard. Yeah. So that was kind of an interesting moment in that. And But at any rate, so... So he dies in prison. He does die in prison. His remains were cremated, and they were given to an undisclosed family member. Hmm. Um, Why undisclosed? I don't know. It's got to be Barbara. Yeah. I mean, it's either Barbara or Merrick. So, so because neither one of them stopped loving him or supporting him. No, because of the only family members that he really has left. His brother's dead. But didn't he have two daughters? 
So he had Merrick and he had the other daughter, but I don't think the other daughter would have even gotten it. Like, yeah. she's definitely the only two that really seem to ever be willing to be open like we knew this guy <laughs> was Barbara and Merrick. And I think their reasons, Merrick was the oldest daughter. And Barbara was his wife, and you can't really deny you were married. You, right. you were married to him, so it's not like, oh yeah, I barely knew him. I mean, yeah. it's like with Donald Trump. Hey, I never met that person. <laughs> I mean, maybe I met him once. <laughs> That's the funniest. Uh, uh, and I married him, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know him that well. I take pictures with everybody. <laughs> I marry everybody. <laughs> And I get swishy with everybody. Oh. <laughs> Again. I never knew that was offensive. Well, ask Christina. Oh, yeah, shit. Yeah, she can tell you. Like, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, that was his quote. I'm getting swishy. Oh, no, I'm going to offend people. It's like, wait a second. You yeah. care that you're like. I know. You're like, going to kill them. So yeah. What do you care oh, if they're offended word. first? <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. Please tell me you still accept me before I pour cyanide into your drink. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, he loved cyanide, too. That was his, like, yeah, it's so amazing stuff. Well, it is amazing stuff, too. It, it, it was. Yeah, it really impressed him. So. I, Although I'm uh, sure Clorox bleach would have maybe the same. Not, not as much as cyanide. Not flavorless or something. I don't know. I'm but not yeah, a killer yet. Yeah, cyanide will... Uh, will definitely kill you, whereas there were a lot of Trump supporters who did drink bleach last year. That's true. Or inject it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, Trump recommended injecting it, but most didn't have the needles, so they just (laughs) bottoms up. (laughs) And it did increase the amount of calls to poison control, but most of them did actually live. So, whereas if that was cyanide, they uh, they would not have lived. So maybe they have to change the label. Yeah, maybe. You know, like, yeah, it's about the labeling. Yeah, now that now the well, they they have to have like the do not eat on the silicone for your shoes. Like now, it's gonna have to be like do not eat, even if the president tells you to. Yeah. Like, well, I just meant it, if it doesn't kill you, then change the label because it's not it gonna kill, kill you. It makes you stronger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Do we have more on the ice man? No, uh, I mean really, I, I think. How about Mr. Softy? Um, <laughs> wow. He is also deceased. He died. That's in the movie. That's was, in the movie. Iceman was never convicted, even though he did confess to that murder. He was never charged with that. Most of these law enforcement's like, yeah, you had nothing to do with it. But then you look at the actual facts, and it's pretty hard to deny he was probably involved in it. Yeah. So, I mean, circumstantial, but still. Thanks for a couple weeks of fun. Mm. Uh, for some reason, this reminded me of my Jill's tirade of the week when my daughter had to be hospitalized for a week and we didn't have insurance because we were changing jobs. And I tried to pay them with a credit card and they wouldn't even see her. So just a reminder, if you listened all the way to the end of the episode, my daughter could have died because I could have paid for her health insurance on my credit card, but they don't do it without insurance. Mm. That's fucking bullshit. So just saying, call your representative. That's right. Okay. And Steve, coming up, is it you next week or is it Daddy? I think it's me, but I'd be happy to have Don take my But I'm supposed to be doing something on Jolly Jane. Jolly Jane, that's, that's right. Another angel of death type mur- nurse murder. Yeah, she was a nurse who was just killing people with morphine. Nobody knew. She was hopping. Was she the one that liked one of the janitors or something? She had like Maybe. a crush on a janitor? That was um, yeah, the one we covered already. She was in love with the security guard. 
Oh, and she used to str okay. straddle him while patients were like. Oh, oh so this was uh, no, this guy did we not did have any requirement for her. He he. No oh, interest. well, maybe it, it is Jolly Jane. Yeah, because she. She did straddle. She she got She's it. Dead. She got she got it on she with goes her down. She, <laughs> she got it on with her patients as they slowly died. Oh my god, yeah. really? Yeah. Okay, can't and wait for next week. An additional copay. <laughs> 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 and and she would tell them jokes before giving them the poison. Mm -hmm. So she was pretty happy. That's why they called her Jolly. Jolly Jane. Love it. Okay, so that's next week. And then the week after, Daddy wants to do the Texas Tower uh, murder, mostly because we're going to Austin. So he told us that we're probably going to die that way. So it's fun. It'll be a fun few weeks around here. Um, but and then it's me. And then it's you? Yeah, I think, right? Am I after Dad? Yep, you are. And you're doing... Patricia Olson. She's the woman who convinced her son to kill her husband and his dad. Excellent. So that's some mental yeah, bullshit yeah. right there. <laughs> some mental bullshit. It definitely is. Yeah. So it should be a fun month on cocktails, mocktails, and crime. And we hope you keep listening. Thank you. Bye. See you next time. See you. Thank you for listening to us on this episode of Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite app so you don't miss an episode. You can also send us an email to cocktailsmocktailsandcrime at gmail.com. Or follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Or Twitter at CMCrime1. See you all next week.